This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Rheumatoid Solutions Podcast with Clint Patterson, helping you to live an easier, healthier and happier life. Today, my lovely guest is Lori, and she is currently in Florida, and I'm back in Sydney. So if we'd have done this just a few months ago, we could have done it in person. But now we're a long way away using Zoom, and she has a fascinating story that we can all learn from. Uh, She has been on all of the sorts of typical medications that the rheumatology community advise for rheumatoid arthritis. And she's going to talk about each and every one of those experiences that she's had from the disease modifying drugs to biologic drugs. And she has had this disease since she was 12 years old, originally diagnosed with JRA, these days called JIA typically. And she's now 36. So that's quite a lot of time to experience what it's like to have at first uh, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis and now adult rheumatoid arthritis. And she and I are speaking today because her biggest improvements throughout that entire time of having this disease have not come from the medications. She's going to explain how it was her lifestyle changes across to the Patterson program for rheumatoid arthritis that finally enabled her to not just make some improvements, but regain her life and uh, get off the dreaded prednisone after much, much long-term use. And it's a really, really inspiring story that we're sitting on here. So let's unpack this story with Laurie, who's here with me today. Thanks, Laurie. Hi, you're welcome, Clint. Thank you for having me. You have been through so much. You have experienced it all from such a very young age. Before we talk about the the challenges, the struggles, and the really dark days, and how you got through all that as a as a young as a young teenager, and then into your adult years, first of all, let's start on a really happy note. Um, tell us how much better do you feel by changing your lifestyle and following the Patterson program just in the last couple of years. I feel like an entirely new person. Like I've been so long kind of stuck in a certain place. And now all of a sudden, now I feel lighter and I have some freedom back and it just feels absolutely fantastic. Well, it's great to see you smiling because from what you've been through, you would be entitled and forgiven to be really, really sort of the, I don't know, um, upset or feeling like life's dealt you a harsh blow, an unfair blow, because from age 12, you know, that is a young age in which to develop this condition and perhaps take us back to what happened uh, and just give us the sort of the, the highlights or if you like the, the lowlights of, of that period there when getting diagnosed and what treatment you went through and your emotional reaction. Um, When I was first diagnosed, it was, you know, because I'm so young, you know, we don't know any better, you know, and you kind of go through a very significant part of your life, realizing that this is actually your new normal. So you don't view it the same. Like when I look back at my earlier days, I don't see my life prior to my diagnosis. And I don't see the the, uh, comparison because the bulk of my life, it's been with arthritis. 
So I've had to create a new normal. But I mean, it's been some, you know, very challenging, especially at that young age. And as we mentioned earlier, um, before we start recording, the high dose of prednisone, take that with teenage hormones and you have a mess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's an absolute disaster. I would, I remember sitting in class and having a teacher just look at me and I would just burst into tears for no valid reason. I was just an emotional mess. Mm. Um, I would just start crying for no reason or I would feel myself getting very angry, um, which I know is from the steroids. So being older, I understand now, but when I was 12, 13, 14, I didn't know any of this. I don't know to read side effects. And that's one thing that doctors just tell you, well, there's some side effects. Mm, mm. Well, thanks. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and other than the high doses of steroids, which you, uh, which you did mention um, were, were very high, you know, upwards of the typical sort of 40 or 50, but even up to maybe 80 milligrams per day to get you under control. This, this enormously high dosages that you had at times, what was the long-term approach in parallel to the anti-inflammatory steroid use? Was there a disease-modifying drug that you were put on as well? I was put on Remicade, and I remember being placed on that for a while, and that worked very well. Um, the problem was, as anything else, as you know, we start to get older and get our own insurance. Now you have a battle of insurance companies. So who's going to cover what insurance, what medication? Um, so then it becomes, okay, well, we're going to switch you from this to another drug. And then what happens again? Insurance changes. Okay, we're going to try Remicade again, which, you know, increases the likelihood of ineffectiveness and side effects. So there comes a battle of, you know, medications. But the first biologic I recall was the Remicade. And at the age I was in for that time period, that was going to work, but it wasn't teaching me any lifestyle changes. So if I were to review my life back then to where I am now, I could probably guarantee you if I didn't have the lifestyle change, that would have been what would have happened anyway, no matter the medication. That's just my true belief of that. Sorry, you're saying that if you um, if you hadn't have changed, maybe just rephrase that. I my brain didn't work that one out. Um, in my opinion, if you know whether whatever medication it was, whether it's yep. Remicade or Rencia, any type of biologic, um, yep. the the downfall to that is you get no lifestyle coaching with it. Yeah. And you rely so heavily on a medication. So when it starts to work and you're feeling a little better, it only helps you for the duration you're taking it. And it's not teaching you something. You're just treating yourself with the medication, not understanding why it's working. When it's just simply masking, it's not curing anything. It's not, it's holding your symptoms steady instead of actually truly fighting what it is your body's going through. Yeah, now I get it loud and clear and I completely agree. I think that that is the danger of of this disease is that you know, if we have inflammation in our joints, it is an alarm signal going off. It is the siren saying something is wrong. I am out of balance. 
I've lost my homeostasis, my body is not well. And that alarm system is there for a reason. And it's telling us something you're doing isn't right. Now, it might not be something you're doing right now. In my case, you know, I took five years of antibiotics. And then later, uh, when I went to the Middle East to entertain the troops, I then took three more months of the exact same antibiotics and developed symptoms five months later. So wow. I believe that, you know, there's a, there's a historical factor as well and a, 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 a cumulative effect that's going on. So, but that needs to be addressed and things that we can put into place, as we'll talk about, you know, can tend to slowly reverse that damage we've done in the past. But if we're on a medication and we don't feel the symptoms, then yes, that's wonderful. Our life is restored, but if that uh, medication then begins to fail or the side effects means you have to come off it, you're back at square one. You haven't learned how to address the underlying cause. Right. And that's part of the problem, you know, because, you know, I've been to a few different rheumatologists and the one thing not a single one of them ever brought up was nutrition. It's always been medication, medication. Well, if this isn't working, well, we're going to put you on a new medication Instead of really trying to figure out where it's coming from in the first place, you're just going to push another medication. I know there's a problem. It would be nice if we knew where it was coming from before you started pumping me full of meds. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just, it, to me, it serves no purpose if I'm not understanding where it's coming from or where the problem is. If I know the problem is bread, well, then tell me not to eat bread and I won't. You know, instead of giving me a new medication just to mask the symptoms, only for me to have the same problem if we switch medications or decrease, I haven't been prepared. You know, I haven't been given the skills in order to make it more long lasting. Instead, I'm focusing on a very short term plan instead of focusing on bigger picture. Yeah, yeah. Look, normally I would, in these interviews, go back and have you walk through and develop further your story. And we, and we might do that, but I'm still so fascinated by the, what we're currently talking about. I'd just like you to list all the medications that you've been on. See if you can remember every single one. And then I want you to give us a little bit of experience. If you can recall the detail of each drug, because that I would think would be very interesting to people. I've, when I was little, um, diagnosed around 12, I was on the max dose of prednisone, which I recall to be about 80 milligrams. Uh, with that, I was on the max dose of methotrexate, and I was a miserable child. Um, the methotrexate made me nauseous all the time. Um, I remember hair loss as being pretty significant. But more importantly, I can deal with the stomach upset, but it was the emotional side of it that was more of a kicker. Um, because at that age, there's no true understanding of what's actually going on with these medications. As I move through adult life or my late teens, I've been on Remicade. Um, I remember taking Zantac because it would just tear my stomach to pieces. I've been on Arencia, Zaljans, Humira, Enbrel, if I didn't say that one already. Um, and now I'm on Kevzara. Of those medications, the least effective was Zeljans. And when I began taking that, I would say the first month I was okay. 
And then when my previous medication wore out of my system and the Zaljans took over, that just, my body just went in, the progress, whatever I had was taken away. Like I had instant joint pain. I had a lot of swelling, inflammation, um, and that just was truly not an effective method for me. So when I'm thinking about all these different biologics I was on, you know, that's telling me that whatever problem is within my body is not going to be treated with these medications. And when your doctor tells you, well, your only option is another medication, when at that time, there's probably, what, maybe three more biologics in the system or FDA approved. There's not that many more in comparison to how many I've already taken. And to have a doctor tell you, well, well, we don't know what the problem is, but we're just going to keep trying a medication until we find one that works. But the side effects just get worse and worse. And it gets to a point where you, it's very easy to give up. And that's the unfortunate thing when you have these medical providers kind of pushing these meds on you and they truly don't know why people have arthritis. They truly don't know the reason. All they can do is prescribe medications to make you, I'm going to call it comfortable. Um, it turns into a very dark area. You know, you, you just start to lose hope and you start to lose that big picture you have in your head of a normal life, whatever that is that you see for yourself. And you start realizing, well, now I'm going to have to give up a lot of things and possibly a career because I'm not getting the answers I need or I'm not making any progress. So of those medications, I would have to say uh, side effects. I only had one bad one from Humira, and that was lymphedema. I had that in my left hand and right foot, and I was treated for that. And it was just such a weird symptom to have. And even after that medication, I was still on, I was still having lymphedema related issues for probably a year or two. But otherwise, across the board, I'd say all the medications, I've been very blessed to have not had any noticeable side effects, at least at this point in my life. Now, down the line, may there be some damage, possibly, but I'm not going to live in that type of mindset because I truly don't know. But they, none of them really treated me very well. They, they allowed me to kind of maintain, and they only maintained me for a brief period of time before they started to taper off, and then my progress was again set back. So when you said able to maintain, whilst on each of these biologics, would in general terms that you'd say that you were still experiencing some symptoms of inflammation in the joints? Oh, yes quite a few symptoms um, to the point where I never felt like it was truly gone. Um, I still had a lot of inflammation. My joints were extremely hot. It was just difficult moving, a lot of fatigue. So I think it made it tolerable to the point where I can perform normal activities of daily living and maintain jobs. But outside of that, it was still very difficult as far as if I sat there and said, I felt like this medication helped me, the answer would be no. Wow. But then as we, and as we experience, certainly I um, witnessed this and was aware of this myself as I was tapering off methotrexate 
at one point and then I was experiencing some more symptoms, I then reluctantly had to come to terms with the fact that the medication was doing more for me than I had thought it actually was. And I think you gave an example when you shifted across to, in your case, Zeljans, you noticed that that medication uh, was not as effective as the one that was on just prior. And so then you right. feel, okay, so that prior drug was actually doing more for me than perhaps than you're aware of. Right. Yes. Okay. Well, yes. I think I would have given- to, yeah. Yeah. I would have to agree with that. Um, there is some improvements and benefits that the medications do offer um, in the sense that it takes you from what could be your worst day and it gives you a little improvement so that you can do more than what you could have before. But being where I am now and looking back at where I was then, I can clearly see that those medications were clearly not even touching what I would have been capable of had I been guided into a more natural natural path. So it does offer people who are being severely impacted some treatment to get started. You know, a lot goes with the medications and how we're feeling. And when we start to feel a little bit better, we feel capable of doing more and we feel like we're more in charge. Um, and that's a wonderful feeling to have. But it's also very easy to become what I'm going to call it because I've said it to myself. Um, it's very easy to become complacent and you tend to forget there's other methods to also treat it at the same time um, that offer more longevity because medications at some point in time, your body will get used to it and it will become at some point, whenever that is, it will become ineffective. That's my personal experience with medications and you're only going to be as good as you can be on the medication for as long as the medication decides that. So it's just nice to have different tools and not just solely rely on, as I call it, a magic pill, you know, something that you can take and thinking, okay, well, this is it. I can, oh, look, I can move around again. Well, that's great. You've got yourself started. Now what? And that's where it's missing in the metal community. Then now what? Unless you get to where I was, my very dark corner going, well, now I have no options left except these horrific medications. And I started Googling everything. I mean, everything. I drank every god-awful drink you could think of. And you learn that the simplest, most realistic thing was there the whole time. And that's nutrition. And to think about it, it's kind of almost a kick in the butt. You know, like this whole time, I could have just been doing like a lifestyle change. And it could have been going so much better for me while on some of the other medications. And instead, I'm finding this out later in life because of the other medications failure. So it's just interesting how it all kinds of falls into place. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, probably one of the most important things that we also did discuss before we hit record. We briefly just said, how mind blowing is this situation? You've had this condition since you were 12 years old. 24 years, and I want to say a dozen different medications over that time. And you told me that not one doctor asked you about your lifestyle and what you were eating. Not one. 24 years and not one question about that. And 
it is mind-blowing to think, well, what would have the course of your disease looked like had you had made these changes at age 12? I mean, come on, our kids eat plant-based diet with no oil. The littlest one is two. So if you have the knowledge around how to do it properly, because there's a lot of bad ways of doing it, of course, um, but if you do it properly, you know, just imagine where uh, things might have gone instead. But look, I don't think we've done any bias or injustice. I think we've provided a great balance to the medication path that you have experienced. It, it clearly stopped you from otherwise having a much, much worse outcome. And I think that both of us are, um, uh, are very grateful for the med. I'm very grateful for the medication experience that I have had. And who knows if I might need in the future, I'm glad that there is a rheumatologist with a, a cabinet full of stuff in case one day mm. I might need that again. And I'm sure that right. you're grateful for that too. But at the same time, let's now move into this direction that you're leading us and tell us, you know, what should be the message to folks with inflammatory arthritis? What should we be doing in parallel to the assistance of the medications as we need it. I think what needs to go hand in hand is clearly nutrition. Um, and that's something that, again, the doctors don't necessarily promote, uh, not because they don't know about it, but their mindset is medication. Their field is medicine. And it's just difficult because there are, are other options out there that will provide the same benefits. And it's just unfortunate that they don't bring it up as frequently or if at all. If a doctor told me when I was 12, eat fruits and vegetables and stay away from all these different things, and that maybe not necessarily cure, but it would help improve quality of life, um, then of course I'd be eating fruits and vegetables. But, you know, here we are. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. You know, but I just wish that there was a more parallel type of conversation with the medical in combination with the nutrition. You know, I don't think it's solely one over the other. I think some people, including myself at some point in life, were dependent upon both. I don't think people should just stop taking medications and just eat vegetables and live in the unrealistic world going, okay, well, if I stop one and just eat my fruits, I'm going to be fine. Mm. Um, I do think there is a safe way to do it. And that's, of course, with a doctor. Uh, the rheumatologist I have now, he is fantastic in the sense that he's listening to me in the fact I do not want more biologics. And he allowed me to explore a lifestyle change, which is how I found your program. Um, his role was, as long as I see progress, then we can keep going on that same path. But if there's no progress, as you know, um, the more a condition is left untreated, especially inflammatory, the more damage that comes with it. And it's irreversible in some cases, especially joint deformities. So there is such thing as working together to kind of make sure that it's, it's balanced. You can't have too much of one thing and not enough of the other. It's going to be unbalanced. Um, so I do think that the parallel comes from just having those conversations with the doctors so they know where their patients, such as myself, is trying to go. Where do I see myself? I see myself understanding there's more to this condition than what a medication can treat. It's not just the medication. It's what am I doing? 
I remember on some of my more painful days, if in following your program and then looking back at how I was eating at the time of my worst days, I can tell you that it was what I was eating. I was eating like I was a normal person, <laughs> you know, because normal people can eat what they want, wake up and feel fine. And I was eating how I would have when I was a teenager. And clearly that's not going to benefit me because I eliminated all those foods and then I started regaining my life back. Um, so there's a lot to be said between the two, you know, medical and nutrition kind of merging together and hand in hand. Yeah, I love that. Two things that I thought to, to add to what you've said there. Um, one is a question, and then I'll get to that, which is, which is coming next. First, a comment and a request for feedback from our audience. I am actually, I'm well on my way to, uh, is through writing my book, and it's um, trying to blend those two hemispheres together. And I'm trying to create a book that rheumatologists will be happy to pass to patients. However, the book is written for patients. The book is written for you, for me, for everyone with this disease. And what I'm aiming to achieve is to walk that fine line between, you know, everything that you've just been speaking about is, yes, here is the, uh, the safety net and the set of crutches that we are entitled to with the medications. But here are all the things that we can do almost like rehab to help us right. get off the crutches or maybe just to need one on one side of the body or just a cane, you know? So right. that's what I'm yeah. trying to achieve with the book. And um, my, uh, I guess my, my question to our audience is, uh, you know, do they feel that that's a good idea? And I've got a chapter in there about medications that I intend to have co-authored by a rheumatologist. So yeah, any feedback on the book would be welcomed whilst we're in the midst of a discussion on this merging of these two, you know, not so necessarily overlapping areas when we see our doctor. And I'm trying to create an overlap there and a one source where we can all agree upon to say, look, here's the scientific evidence of the, all the uh, natural changes we can make. And here's obviously the standard approach and see if we can um, all walk together hand in hand. Now, the question I wanted to ask you is someone listening might say, I, that's all good, Laurie. Sure, you know, now you, you've, you've changed your diet and you're on that, that path, but how do we know that it's working for you? And I want you to give us this evidence that your rheumatologist is asking for. How do we know that you've improved by, you know, doing this change? Well, I've been using uh, not only how I feel, but again, if I'm going to talk to anybody else, you know, a friend or a stranger on the street, you know, I can convince anyone that I'm feeling better. You know, that's a feeling not provable. But my blood work speaks for itself. My C-reactive protein went from over 1.2 down to less than 0.2. So it's all in the blood workup. And it's funny that you say that because my doctor actually said the same thing to me or something similar. Well, how do I know you're not just telling me this so you don't get more medications because he knew I was starting to dislike them um, or I've been changing my views. As I get older, I'm changing my views of medications in general. So I think that has something to do with it. And I simply just told him, well, you have my lab work, you tell me. 
tell me what my blood workup says. And I, I had the, my, I used Quest. I pulled it up on my phone and I said, if you don't have them, I do. And I said, it's right there. You know, I'm feeling amazing. You know, I even showed him my joints. I said, they're not hot. They're, you know, a little inflamed, you know, it takes time, but there's been such a marginal measurable amount of progress. And that's just based on my lab reports. So the lab reports support how I'm feeling, which is provable to people who may feel a little skeptical or they may not be in a place at this particular moment to take, as I call it, a leap of faith to know that there is a little bit, there are things such as nutrition changes that can help. It's not going to be an instant fix, but it's going to have overall benefits. It just takes time. Um, For me, it's been a two-year battle that I've taken to get off prednisone to get stabilized again, decrease again, and start making all these changes medication-wise because with every change of medication, my numbers would be thrown off again because my body just starts to go crazy. So for a little bit, it would improve and then my results would change. Then I would improve, my results would change. And as I stayed off medications longer, it became more something more that I could prove more to my doctor saying, okay, well, this is working now because we decreased, I got stable, and here we are. I've been off the prednisone since March and I've had not one issue and now I'm decreasing my biologic. And in that duration, the only thing that changed was my diet. Hmm. Um, Just to clarify, you're spacing the biologics further apart, correct? Yeah, yes. I've I Kevzara is one dose biweekly and to space it out, now I'm taking it once every three weeks instead of once every two. And that's and, of course with my doctors under doctor supervision, I've decreased that. Or sp- spread it out. The dose is the same. I just increase the length of time in between doses. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I just wanted to clarify that. Now let it let us not brush over the extraordinary achievement of getting off the prednisone, which you had been on for two years, and you had been taking in the past enormously high doses. Could you tell us how, like, how many years were you on versus off prednisone over those 24 years? And then also tell us how hard it was to get off it now for good, hopefully. I was on, when I was little, I was on from the age of 12, which is about the end of fifth grade, all the way through probably my, through sixth grade and into high school, I'd say around eighth grade is when I stayed on the high dose and then began tapering down. As a younger person, I don't remember the struggles I might've gone through, if any, it's been so long. And a lot of things have happened since then. Um, So it's difficult to know about tapering off at that age. But I remember... Uh, recently getting off prednisone as an adult, my body was just so dependent on it. So while I was on 20 milligrams and it took me a couple of years just to taper down um, because I would decrease it by five milligrams like my doctor told me and that was too much. So we had to put the dose back to the original prescription dose and then decrease. He suggested one milligram. And the problem I had is I had to decrease it a milligram and I had to give my body a month or two, sometimes three months for my system to catch up. I know I tried decreasing it, like my doctor said, and it just backfired. 
my body was just going into, I wouldn't say shock, but I was having such an inflammatory response because the decrease was too fast for my body for how long I was on it for. Um, but I found, I found not rushing it because sometimes you start making progress and you're like, yes, I got this. Then you start going and going and then you're going too fast. So it was bittersweet in a way. It kind of woke me up to slow myself down and to remember to take my time because it's not a race. It's about getting off the medications. So it took me about two years to officially get off the prednisone as much as slow as I was decreasing it. But if I went too fast, it would just set me back way too far. And you probably had to do some half milligram doses at times as well, I imagine, as you got near the, near the end. Yes. Towards the end, I was having, I tried doing the one milligram and it, it just didn't go very well. And as I got to the lower doses, I found doing the half milligrams being a, a good benefit for me because it let me go a little bit slower and initially, I thought it was me, like a not a placebo effect, maybe. Like, okay, it's one milligram. Well, what's the difference? You know, that's not a big significant change. You would think that's like, okay, it's me. I'm. I know I'm decreasing, so it's it's me. I know it's happening. So, in my mind, I'm feeling all these joint pains and stiffness. And you know, it took me a little time to understand that my body was in fact reacting even though it was such a significant dose change, insignificant dose change, it was very significant to my body. So it took me a little time to uh, find that out the hard way, you know, and realizing that such a small dose does have a big impact. And it, it just became another reminder that it's one of those things that takes time. You know, we have to listen to our bodies and let our, I had to let my body kind of dictate to me when we were ready for that next step. Mm. Yeah, very, very insightful and, and great listening yeah. to your own feedback systems. Well, I've only learned about these techniques via my support community where this is discussed on a regular basis and we've got really solid guidelines now for how to reduce prednisone. And what you've just described is a very, the very foundation of the approach, which is taking time, you know, smaller doses towards the end. Uh, some of our members do say, uh, reduce it by one milligram, but then take it back up a half milligram the next week and then down again and one milligram, then back up and have these interesting configurations. But generally, slow, just slow and listen and uh, don't not to make too many other changes at the same time. I mean, we don't want to be reintroducing a whole bunch of new foods and testing them while we're trying to get off prednisone. At the same time, it can get very complicated and discouraging. So, that's all amazing. Tell us, imagine now that none of our audience know it and know anything about the dietary change that you made. Just tell us like as if I was a stranger. So what did you do? How did you make yourself improve like this? I improved because I felt that I had no other option. And I felt like if I didn't find other alternatives that my whatever expectancy I was looking for in life, I, I felt like I was going to be very reliant on medications, and I didn't want that for myself. You know, I wanted to have my, I wanted to have some freedom and not rely on having to take a medication every day or every other day or once a week, set my calendar. Okay. It's medication day. 
I just wanted to break free of having to be stuck on medications because I know it's possible. Um, I know it's possible because I'm doing it right now, you know, and that's, that's a great feeling to know that I, I consider breaking, you know, through all of these, you know, heavy weights that weigh you down, all these things that were preventing you from standing upright, you know, you have a new sense of freedom. And it's amazing when you felt like you've lost that for so long to finally regain that. You know, in my mind, I don't really try to convince other people of anything. You know, I I walk around going, I'm living it, I'm walking it, and I'm doing it for me. And if you get something out of it, that's great because I'm living it. So you can believe it. You know, I hope that you do. I know a lot of people that I'm working with and that I'm around have other autoimmune issues. And I try to tell them, you know what? I was you, you know, I was waking up miserable. I was complaining. And then I try to kind of share with them, you know, I'll look at their meal. I'm that person that will look at their meal and sit down with them. And I'll say, okay, what are you eating today? And it's this KFC fried food. And I said, okay, and you wonder why you're feeling this way. You know, I try, so I try to point things out and have those conversations and say, you know what, you might be feeling miserable now, but at some point in time, you're going to have that light bulb go off and you're going to start feeling like your life is coming back, but you're not going to know it until you start doing it. So it's just a nice feeling, you know, to kind of hop around and show people, Hey, I'm having a good day. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, that's beautiful. And let's say, let's, let's go back in uh, that picture where you're sitting down with someone and they're eating that deep fried, you know, unhealthy meal. What's right. Laurie's top five suggestions to that person? If they say, okay, Laurie, what should I do? What do you tell them? I tell them that if it, it's one of those things where you can't force people to make such drastic changes because it's not realistic for them to stick to it. So I usually look at what they're eating and I'll suggest a healthier version of it. So fried chicken with cranberry sauce, potatoes, the whole nine. I would suggest something like a salad with grilled chicken and dried cranberries in it and water with some fruit in it, like an orange or lemon. So it would be, you know, if you're going to suggest someone to take something away, you have to offer something similar in exchange. And then from there, you progress. You know, it's thankfully I love salads and I love vegetables. So for me to switch to something plant-based, it's a struggle because I like my chips. I like my dip, but at the same time, there's healthier ways to go about it, but you have to be in a place to accept it without feeling like everything's being taken away and now you can't eat anything good. That's the line I get, you know, it's like, well, now I can't eat anything good. No, you can. You, for every unhealthy thing, you could probably have three to four different recipes for that same thing, but a healthy version or something similar. So I always encourage a salad and if it's a meat, something grilled. And, you know, hopefully they, you know, kind of listen to that and give it a chance. That's the other thing I tell people is give it a chance to see some results. It's not going to happen in one day. But you have to give it a chance to kind of show you what what nutrition and diet can do, you know, not just try it for one meal and say, well, your salad's not working. Mm. <laughs> of course, it's not working. You ate one salad, <laughs> mm. you know, so I try to, you know, always offer something in exchange for instead of just picking at somebody's meal, 
if they truly want to know, then of course I'm going to share with them kind of everything I've learned, um, especially from the mistakes I've made. And I'll share that with them so they know, okay, well, I'm not telling you this because I'm picking on you. I'm telling you this because for me, this is part of my story and I'm sharing it with you and hopefully it works for you. Yeah, beautiful. And we know that, that, as you said, if they just did that one switch, that would be a transition to the path that would ultimately turn into a narrower and a little bit more challenging path, but it's on the right path for them. Um, Right. And now for you and your personal journey, what do you consider the key components of your daily habits with your diet? What are the key things that you would feel anxious about if they were removed, whether it be a green juice or whether it might be uh, lots of leafy greens as a salad, as you said? Uh, Are there some things that you feel must remain in your daily habit so that your symptoms continue to dissipate? I would say cucumbers. I love cucumbers because they're versatile. I could put them in salads. I can mix them in dishes. I can juice them. So for me, I'd have to say, you know, I can live on cucumbers because you can simple pepper or salt, you know, some easy herbs and seasoning. Um, But I'd have to definitely go with, you know, that being a staple that I follow. Yeah. Okay. Love it. Um, and have you been able to transition through the program so that you're not de- as dependent on the early baseline foods? And are you now able to eat more of a diverse, a plant-based diet with, say, um, potatoes and rice and uh, corn and bread and so on? Or you're somewhere in the middle? I can. I have to be very careful with bread. Um, I've introduced it, but I can only have it on occasion. But everything else I've found with the potatoes and rice and corn, I can I can have that with absolutely no problem. Uh, what I do find is if there's fruits that have a higher sugar content, that's where I tend to have a little bit of an issue. Or if I try to incorporate too much honey, then I start having an issue. So I, in this process, um, I've also learned that I have more of a sugar intolerance than I do anything else, uh, which I found interesting. And I found that out because I was make, using honey to make some dressings. <laughs> and I was using honey and tea and I was overusing honey a little bit. And uh, that's how I found out because after I did that, I wound up having some joint discomfort for a few days until I removed honey. And then I realized, okay, I went too heavy in honey. I have to monitor the, you know, how much I consume of that. But otherwise I found with many of the different foods I have reintroduced and I've been doing very well in the variety, which is, which is nice. (laughs) Fantastic. Um, And how are you with most fruits though? Are you generally able to eat most fruits? Yes. In moderation though, I can't have too much. So I try to focus on more greens and I might do some sliced strawberries in my salad to kind of add some flavor to it. But I do try to be careful with the amount and just focus mainly on greens. So if I have, I can have about a handful or a nice big bowl of fruit, but then I have to make sure I balance it the rest of the day with some greens or a lot of water, just something to balance it. But I can have all different types of fruits 
which is uh gives me a chance to use in different cooking methods. So <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I'm a huge fan of huge fan of fruit. I just think that it offers so much for us in terms of our energy needs, our fiber needs. It's water rich, all the uh, wonderful uh, you know vitamins and minerals. It really just is just a sensational food source. Um, I was listening to one of the live Dr. Gregor videos that he does, I think monthly, and he takes questions for half an hour live on YouTube. And uh, it, it was a suggested video for me. And I just watched the first few minutes of a recent one. And the first question was come from someone about she wants to do a plant-based diet, but she didn't want to do grains. Is it possible? And he pointed out that grains and fruits, an insufficient intake of grains and then an insufficient intake of fruits are number two and number three highest causes of mortality, dietary related mortality. The number one right. cause of dietary mortality is too much salt intake, which we get in huge spades in a Western diet. Everything is salted. Okay. So mm -hmm. it's just at an enormously higher level than what we can do if we're eating a whole food plant based and just put a little salt on our on our main meal is entirely different than eating, say, for example, yeah. a KFC chicken meal, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the point of this, you know, story or recollection is that third place, or it might have been second place, second or third, was that lack of fruit intake, you know, was is top three. So we need to eat a lot of fruit and uh, worth emphasizing, uh, we need to get into our grains as well. We need to be able to right. consume the rice, brown rice, you know, the basmati if we're, you know, in a little hurry and trying to transition from, uh, from buckwheat and quinoa, again, considered pseudo grains, but healthy plant-based foods that prolong life and give us health. So right. exercise, we're going to wrap up shortly. Um, you mentioned to me offline that you are boxing again. Is that right? You're now a you know, boxing. Tell us about that. Yes, I box four days a week, and that includes one-on-one uh, -on -one time with focus mitts. And what I like is I'm also working towards my next goal of going into the ring to do sparring sessions. It's high intensity, and I'm telling you, even on my worst day, I always made sure to go to the gym. I may not have um, did the same intensity as better days but it was important for me one to get to the gym and to do my best just to keep moving um but now with all these improvements i'm finding i can do a whole lot more and you know i'm really enjoying that you know i feel lighter on my feet i can move around more i have more energy to sustain myself for the duration of the boxing session so it's just it's fantastic to be able to be in the ring and um, partake in that activity. It's a good feeling. You certainly don't come across as having any built-up anger or frustration. Uh, you come across as having a very balanced and calm personality and persona. However, anyone would have some degree of desire to have an outlet to hit, to punch, to kick. And <laughs> if like all of us with some kind of frustration with some damaged joints or some inflammation or some imbalances because of the, 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 the having the disease brings. I think boxing is just so fabulous as a way to get that out. 
you know, just mm-hmm. to, you know, so many times in my highly inflamed years, I would say to Melissa, I just want to punch the wall, but I can't <laughs> because that would kill my elbow, kill my knuckles, kill my wrist because everything hurt. Mm-hmm. But I would still sometimes just go, and, ah, and the pain was not through the, <laughs> through the contact point. It was all the other joints mm-hmm. that got so upset. But so much frustration, anger, just wanted to come out with punching and just, yeah, mm-hmm. I can totally, I'm there with you, just that feeling of like release. It must be so euphoric mm-hmm. to punch stuff and feel much better by doing so. It is, you know, and I have my primary job is extremely stressful. So it's very much also a stress reliever for me to make sure that I let out my my daily stress, bring it to the gym, leave it at the gym and move on with my day. Um, because I do know that stress does also kind of cause me to have some more inflamed days and it's unfortunate, but I always know when my stress, my stress levels up, I can, I feel it the next day. And, uh, you know, that's one of those things that I believe mind over matter, you know, it's a little positive self-talk and just making, you know, with everything I've been through and all the pain I've been in, I highly doubt there's other significant issues that kind of trump that, (laughs) you know? So, I mean, I've been to all kinds of places mentally, and if I'm going to let one day ruin me, you know, that that's a shame, you know? So I bring it all to the gym, let it go, move on with my day. (laughs) Yeah. You know, some expert coaches I've listened to over the years say that when we go through extreme life challenges like this, you know, the rest of our life, we're, we're, we're empowered by those experiences to have right. a unique perspective on being able to handle, especially little stuff. You know, you, right. you, you've been through so much and experienced all these things from such a young age that, you know, a power bill falsely charges you twice. I mean, that's nothing compared to what you've been through. You know, you can handle that. Yeah. The, the, the concept of being able to handle what life throws at you after being able to get through what you have, it, it's a powerful concept. And I think that that's what we can take from having such challenges in life. If, if life has dealt us this kind of crap, well, we can handle the little things much more easy. So. Right. Look, you have has been a fascinating conversation. I'm really, really grateful. Uh, just a couple of little takeaways on that exercise before I forget. I just want people to know the studies really support the anti-inflammatory power of high-intensity interval training, which is what boxing is. It's really, really high-intensity, high heart rate activity for smaller bursts of time, and then you know, literally, you have a break between. Uh, rounds in a professional boxing fight, you're high intensity, you have a rest. High intensity, have a rest. Same thing in Bikram yoga. You do a posture, you have a 20 second rest throughout the floor series. You do it, you have a rest. It's like swimming a few laps, taking a break, swim some laps. This high intensity stuff, there's a lot of studies coming out that I've become recently really engaged with and passionate about that I'm putting in the book that if we can just set aside even a few minutes to just go hard, if we can run, go for a sprint. If we can uh, only have 20 minutes to do some exercise, then make it high impact. Make, make, do what we can within our physical confinements of our, of our joint limitations. But 
let's get that heart rate up. The studies are very, very, very consistent that that's going to reduce inflammation. So that was, that was a, a, a really uh, fascinating thing for me that, that you've incorporated that and that that's helping you. You've done all this great stuff. So what's next for you? Where are you aiming for? What level of physical capacity are you hoping to achieve? I'm working. Well, my goal is to de- uh, space out the Kevzara again. And I feel that my body is holding strong with where I am with the first change of dose or the change of the dates um, in between each, each dose. Um, so my next goal is to hopefully take it maybe once a month after I talk to my doctors, the next step. And I have been adding some sprinting to my boxing routine to increase my speed and agility. So I've been working on that. And that's something I shied away from because it would just hurt so much. Um, But I'm finding that as I start improving, it's one of those things where I just feel like I want to run. And then I start to do it. And I think to myself, wow, I'm running. (laughs) So I'm you know, finding that I'm incorporating jump rope again. Um, and whereas before I'd shy away from it because it was too much on my ankles and my knees. And at one point, one hip I had inflamed. Um, so I'm finding I can do jump rope again. So my goal would be 15 minutes of jump rope, whereas before I would shy away from it. So it's taking things that I would normally shy away from and now challenging myself to get through it and do it. I may not be good at it, but I'm most certainly going to give it my all because now I'm giving myself the credit. I've earned, you know, my space here. I've earned everything from decreasing my medications. I've earned that. So now my next step is proving to myself that, okay, I know I can run and break the mental barriers where I would otherwise think I can't do it because I couldn't before. So now it's challenging myself to start doing things that, perhaps a little bit more uncomfortable, you know, instead of thinking about sparring, now it's time to get in the ring and spar. And with that comes increasing my ability to do more power boxing rounds, you know, and taking my rest and working on speed rounds. So I'm starting to go into those places where I would otherwise be uncomfortable. So now I'm treading into that direction. So that's my next step as far as goals. I love it. I love it. Absolutely love it. I recently listened to the audio version of a book called Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. And anyone who doesn't mind a bit of foul language, but is interested in a wonderfully inspiring story of defiance, go and listen to that. If you feel a little sorry for yourself, go and listen to that. If you need some motivation to get off the couch, go and listen to David Goggins. Again, a little warning. uh, There's a lot of language in the content of that book. But uh, when you've been through a lot of stuff, sometimes the language reflects your emotional outlet of how that stuff impacts you and how it felt at the time. So uh, I've listened to that. And, uh, you know, to, to highlight what you've just said, if we can get away from comfort, we're all just too comfortable. Comfort does not help us live the highest possible life we're capable of. Comfort does not make us the best person we can possibly be. And comfort certainly doesn't help reverse inflammation. Comfort is the enemy of progress. We have to get uncomfortable. We have to do things that we know are good for us, even if they make us feel uncomfortable. In fact, because they make us 
feel uncomfortable. And so you're doing that. And that's why I loved having this chat with you. And I'm really glad that we connected. Uh, you messaged me on Facebook Messenger and told me that you were doing so well on the program. And that's how we connected. And uh, I'm grateful. And I hope our audience have enjoyed this conversation. So thank you, Laurie. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Rheumatoid Solutions. If you'd like to get more help to live an easier, healthier, and happier life, visit rheumatoidsolutions.com.